0: Oh, hey, I'm so glad you're back in the archive checking out this episode. I wanted to give you a heads up that while the episode you're about to hear may be a little bit older, we still stand behind all of our advice and actionable takeaways. However, we may mention resources that are no longer available. The best way to get our up-to-date resources is going to feelgoodretail.com podcast and checking out what we have there. So without further ado, enjoy the episode. Hey, welcome to Retail for the Rest of Us, a podcast for indie retailers. Hey everyone, welcome. I'm your host, Janine Malone, founder of Feel Good Retail, an indie brand, hype woman, volunteer cheerleader, person with a lot of feelings. (laughs) This week's episode, I'm so excited to share with you. It's a little different than the things we've done before, but it's a question that comes up a lot as I start to work with indie retailers. And I love that it comes up so often. Um, how do I run a retail business and also be anti-capitalist or capitalist critical? Um, It's literally one of my most frequently asked questions, and that means, A, that this group and this community is so awesome, but also I just thought it would be helpful um, to reshare an episode that I recorded on a previous podcast called Self-Care for Cycles with my fabulous co-host, Kristen Ciccolini, who is a period priestess, a nutritionist who teaches me something new every time I talk to her and all around just like the most kind and smart person there is. Also she has so much Virgo, so if you ever need a kick in the ass like Kristen's your girl. <laughs> but yeah, we hosted this podcast, um it was previously called It's Just a Phase. Um it was renamed to Self Care for Cycles and it really was all about syncing with the moon and energetics and astrology. To better, you know, find flow in your life and in your business, and yeah, find ways to be an intuitive human being in the year of our Lord 2020. Um, so it was a great show, and I wanted to share this episode because it's all about anti-capitalist practices IRL. So what you can do actively in your business and your personal life, and in your spiritual life, if that's interesting to you, um, to combat capitalism and understand a little bit more what it feels like to embody those values because it doesn't mean making no money necessarily, right? It's all about what you do with that money, the how you spend that money, um, and the values and the practices that go into your business around making money. Um, there is very much some Bezos bashing in here. I think it takes me about five minutes to say suck it, Bezos. <laughs> so. Uh, that's interesting to you, uh, that's in there. And I just think it could be a really helpful primer if that's something that you struggle with as someone who considers themselves radical, anti-capitalist, but also runs your own business and uh, specifically for retailers who literally sell things, sell products. Um, I think it can be an interesting exercise to examine your practices and certainly, um give you some ideas of how to, yeah, make some changes maybe. Anyways, it's a great episode Um, and I really wanted to share it. Ironically, Kristen is also sharing one of our old episodes on her podcast, The Lunar Body, um, this week, all about Mercury retrograde. So it's kind of fun. We're doing like, <laughs> remember in the 90s where there used to be like crossover episodes? Like I can't even think of an example, but like friends and Will and Grace would like meet up. (laughs) It's kind of what's happening between Kristen and I this week and I just love it so much. So Kristen is amazing. Her podcast is incredible. If you are a person who menstruates or a person who is interested in aligning more with moon cycles as opposed to living every day like it's the same. Um, She shares a lot of hormone knowledge. She literally is, like I said, a true genius when it comes to this stuff and makes things so, so, so actionable. So her podcast, The Lunar Body, is sharing the episode about Mercury Retrograde this week and over here in retail for the rest of us, we're talking about (laughs) anti-capitalism. No big deal. Um, So yeah, that's kind of it for me. I'm excited to share this episode. I'm really interested to hear your feedback. If topics like this would be interesting to you in the future, um, that is really great to know because I would gladly, (laughs) gladly have more conversations on like the running of a business and mission and values and things like that if that's something you're into. Um, Also, if you're into the idea of some like moon magic and intuitive business finding its way in, let me know because I love talking about those things as well. Um, so yeah, if you like this episode, let me, know, DM me on Instagram at feel retail. Um, if you are enjoying the show, this episode or any other, it means so much to me. If you take a few minutes to rate us and review us on iTunes, it helps other retailers find us. Um, and it really honestly just makes my day. I truly, I think I got three new reviews last week and they literally brought tears to my eyes. <laughs> because I'm a dork but it just makes me so happy to know that when I put these episodes out there cuz they are a lot of work that there are people who are listening and people who are benefiting from them. So if you have a moment, please know it would genuinely make my day. I read every single one and like it just makes my heart so happy and it makes me want to keep doing this. Um anyways, so if you have time, that'd be awesome. And one last thing before we get into the episode is that this is the last episode of May, and we will be going into a month of email. So we're going to do a deep dive into email for retailers in June over at Feel Good Retail. It's going to be blog content. There's going to be podcasts. There's going to be some good freebies, things like that. So if you really want to stay up to date on all things email and all things Feel Good Retail, there's some awesome resources coming. I would highly recommend getting onto our newsletter list so you don't miss anything. Um, it's a really fun place to be I try to make sure I add as much value as possible and I also try to include what I think are pretty amazing gifts in my emails I've been told that they're pretty great Um, so yeah I am super excited um, to share this with you and am interested in your feedback and yeah let's burn capitalism to the ground am I right? Get into it. What is capitalism? (laughs) (laughs) By definition, I feel like there should be like fancy music playing in the
1: background as I read this. Webster's definition definition, or Webster's dictionary says
0: (laughs) by definition, it's an economic and political system in which a country's trade and industry are controlled by private owners for profit rather than by the state, which the vote did an awesome episode called capitalism 101 a few months ago. We'll link to that in the show notes. If you want to like learn more literally about the system and, you know, critiques of it and all that kind of stuff, Erica, it's and a Paige really are great amazing. episode. It's yeah. so good. Um, and so that could be a great partner to this episode. If you're, you know, if you have any questions. Um, but where we really hope to focus today is on practices that you can use to combat capitalism in life, business, and spirituality. So essentially, capitalism rewards individuals and companies who make a lot of money by any means necessary. So, like hoarding wealth. This is where some of the major critiques of capitalism include. Like that the system gives rise to mass income inequality, exploitation of workers in the environment for financial gain, colonialism, imperialism, slavery, etc. Like we'll talk briefly in all of these points of like how that links. But again, that which the vote episode is really great if you have questions on like the system overall.
1: And when we said it rewards individuals who make a lot of money, it's important to note that just because you make money, that does not mean that you're a capitalist. It is not shameful to make money at all. This is so, so important to remember. Money is not inherently evil. However, it's that that second thing that Janine said, by any means necessary, that hoarding of wealth in the context of toxic Late stage capitalism. That's the evil stuff that we're talking about. And the overlord is Jeff Bezos. (laughs) Suck it, Bezos. (laughs) All in all, we want to remind you that you should not carry more shame than a billionaire does because none of them have shame about hoarding wealth while people are starving and on the streets. Otherwise, they would not be billionaires. So you should not feel any shame at all. And while capitalism is a much bigger system than any of us individually can overthrow or transform, we can individually work to dismantle our personal reliance on it, our relationship to it, and start to detangle our actions from the harmful effects of unchecked capitalism. And that's what we hope to discuss today.
0: Yes. So let's start with business because I feel like this is a big one. If you own your own business if you work for you know any size business actually is like understanding the difference between what a business is and like Kristen was just saying being a capitalist particularly one that's like toxic in um you know exploiting different areas of humanity and the earth so business success does not mean immediately that you are a toxic capitalist um Put very simply, business means that you do work, you get paid for that work, and you spend earnings on what you need or want. Capitalism looks like you outsource much of the work, underpay or exploit your workers, and then take or accumulate the profit for your own benefit. So we can kind of easily see the difference there, right? Like the difference between having a small business, having a small team, everyone's working together. Um, and you kind of like, put very simply, like, you do a task, you get paid for the task, you split, you either take the profits if you're a solopreneur, or you split, you know, with your team, you're paying everyone fairly. But companies that are huge, like Amazon, or who where Jeff Bezos is making an an obscene, amount of money and you have reports of their warehouse workers like not being allowed bathroom breaks um that's (laughs) you can see the difference there right i think uh it's really clear but again like we could get into a lot of nuance there but i think that's important to talk about before we get into the business practices
1: yeah, and when when it comes to making money, if you do still kind of feel that guilt. Um so I I listened to the So You Want to Be a Witch podcast and she recently yeah. had Anna Joy from the Queer Witch podcast. Can you tell we listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> um, we love podcasts. Yeah. Well, Anna, it was it was about, you know, anti-capitalist practices and like in mm-hmm. being an anti-capitalist witch. And she was talking about or Anna was talking about how She said, you are a victim of billionaires' crimes. You getting money is actually justice. There's nothing to feel guilty about. It's justice because when you have that money, you're going to make sure that you're not creating oppressive systems. You know, if this is important to you, that's what you're going to do with that money. You getting money and having that power, because money is power, is good for the world, and you're not helping anybody by not getting paid. So making money can be justice. It can be used for good rather than, you know, making you feel guilty for having any at all, you know? Yeah.
0: Yes, absolutely. And it's like, again, you – it's like feeling guilty about getting table scraps, put plainly. you know, yeah. Like, yeah. there's just such a huge accumulation, and I know that the conversation around capitalism gets really complicated. And for me, I mean, case in point, if Erica from Housewitch is listening, like, I – we've had really interesting conversations because I'm like, I don't know, am I a capitalist? And she was like the first person to be like, Are you fucking kidding me? Like, no. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like you do it is so wrapped up in like money, capital like the whole system. So I I mean, I just want to share that because it's like it's even confusing for me.
1: And I yeah, but try you to actively practice that. I mean you also actively give back. And you actively, you, you use your money for good, you know, whereas, you know, it's not something that you should feel guilty for because yeah, yeah. I feel like, I mean, I feel the same way about, you know, this whole thing, you know, I want to make enough to be comfortable and I also want to make enough to be able to support others, you know? Yes. And that's, that's a whole lot of difference than I want to mm-hmm. make all the fucking money and I don't want to give it to anyone else and I just want it to be for me and, you know. <laughs>
0: right. I mean, case in point, all those, like, memes and stuff that go around that are like, okay, it would – this is, like, another day that Jeff Bezos has decided not to end world hunger. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. you have that kind of money. You know when people talk about, like, fuck you money? Like, yeah. he has end poverty for the entire world money. Yeah. <laughs> <And> like <laughs> – is still like, mm, nah, like I don't even know what he does. Honestly, whatever. Again, longtime listener, Jeff Bezos, fuck you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but let's talk about practices. So there's a handful we want to go through. First of all, as you can tell, paying your workers a fair living wage. That's a huge, very integral practice to being anti capitalist in your business. One of the most prevalent systems of capitalism is that the workers, who are the means of production, are making pennies while, quote unquote, owners or founders or whatever are raking in the big bucks. So you can think about those huge corporate bonuses you hear hear about on the news, CEOs making like 50 times what their employees make, the fact that our nationwide minimum wage hasn't been raised in 11 years. And one of the main arguments is that it would, quote, be bad for business I'm sorry. If your business can't survive because you aren't paying people a living wage, your business is
1: unsustainable. Like,
0: I, I cannot tell you how much I hate that argument.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's like the same thing as, like, if you can't afford to tip, you can't afford to go out to eat, you know? If you yes. can't afford to support your employees, you can't afford to have employees.
0: Correct. So if you are in a position to of needing to bring on new staff – or even, you know, being involved in the hiring process at your company, wage transparency, advocating for living wages is super important. And there's a lot of ways you can go about doing that. You can, you know, do market research. You can do research for your area. Um, I just, (laughs) I mean, I think that like having honest and open conversations about money through even just the interview process is so important. Um, How many times have you seen like, a job posting that doesn't have anything about the compensation package, as if you're Hate just like that. applying for a job for fucking fun,
1: like doy. I want <laughs> to get yeah. And I if you ask paid. about it, if you ask about it at the interview, it's like frowned upon too. Oh yeah, I
0: mean it's wild. So the more we can be talking about it, and the more that same thing, we can be doing research. We can be talking to our friends and family. The way that we can have those conversations, like in Um, in our businesses are really just thinking about like we I think especially again this is speaking as a small business owner I know that no one in the Boston area who is making minimum wage is being paid a fair living wage you know so Mm -hmm. like that's not what I would ever offer anyone and so there's a, a hint of compassion in there there's obviously a lot of ways you can look about look into what works for you and not, but that's, that to me is like number one on anti-capitalist business practice.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, uh, graduating in 2009 in the middle of a recession, I have had more than my fair share of experiences (laughs) of being exploited by my employers. Um, I think, I can't remember if I told this story in the Q and a episode, um, about me, but <laughs> about like my first job after college, I was exploited big time. I worked for what was basically like a content farm. Oh, yeah. And yeah, the sales team made all the money, like over promising these impossible output numbers, leaving the writers to like kill themselves under delivering. And like sales team was living it up. I had to write over 400 articles a month. I stayed late every single day. I made $28,000. And I saw someone one time on Twitter say like, there was like something about salaries going around. Like what was the salary of your first job? And someone was like, my salary was 28,000 in 1970 something. And I was like, great. Mine was that in 2009. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. (laughs) And um, also more recently, so what you meant when you were talking about living wages, more recently I partnered with a company who literally told me when I wouldn't accept their rate, like they gave me a contract with everything and I was like, this isn't going to work. They told me Mm -hmm. it wasn't meant to be a living wage to encourage me to seek out more clients. And I was like, sounds like you're saying the quiet part out loud like you know you're not supposed to say that but also like I literally would rather be poor and do everything myself than have to work for assholes like that you know yeah which is I guess I suppose a somewhat privileged statement but it's like it's rampant it's everywhere
0: (sighs) yeah it's really it's really crazy I mean I feel very lucky that I've really always worked for such small companies like I haven't really had that experience necessarily I mean I'm sure if I looked back at some of the jobs I had like right after college or during college or whatever but like I I mean I think that's part of what has made me such a small business cheerleader because I'm like oh you actually understand like I don't know, I've always had, I've been lucky enough to always have this like transparency into like what the owners are making, who's mm-hmm. like, you know, being part of the hiring process, talking about like when we're hiring retail teams, what I think is fair and being involved in those conversations has really felt like such a privilege. That's uh, good. a privilege. Because yeah. There
1: is, I mean, there is obviously the opportunity to be exploited in small companies too. And I've definitely experienced yes. that as well, where it's like, it's like kind of, like that what we've talked about with like the you know the hashtag girl boss companies that still hold up patriarchal standards absolutely companies but have like a feminist facade you know
0: oh a hundred percent and I mean when I say small I mean like literally less than 10 employees so it's like you just can't (laughs) I mean not to say that you can't but it's very hard when I'm like you know the one doing our finances to be like true what the fuck (laughs) you how are you paying yourself five times more than me yeah (laughs) So yeah, what a privilege, but also it's, you know, it's very easy to see. And it's also very easy to see who, who falls victim to that, you know? Yeah. Um, Especially again, when you see companies, not only who are just like profiting so significantly, but are getting like truly government bailouts and then their CEOs are still getting multi million dollar, tens of millions of dollars in bonuses. Like, yo, (laughs) (laughs) I, I can't. So yeah, yeah that's, that's number one. What else can we do to make our businesses anti-capitalist, Kristen?
1: We can prioritize accessibility. So, you know, not everyone's services or products are going to be accessible to every single person. But, you know, there, if, if there are things you can do, try doing it. You know, can you offer scholarships if you do services or if you teach classes or things like that? Can you offer discounts? Can you offer a sliding scale to make your work or your products more affordable? Mm -hmm. So this is something I've kind of struggled with a little bit because I just, you know, it's hard to figure it out on your own. (laughs) Um, But I've, I've implemented a sliding scale for my coaching. And I also have a lot of different offering, So the, the sync program that was intended to be a more accessible way of working with me. Plus I also write a lot of free content on my blog and on my Instagram. So that's the way I try to incorporate accessibility into my work. How do you, how do you tend to do that with yours?
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel similarly like, and again, this is, I think somewhere that can get tricky for very small businesses because like we want to offer accessibility, but a lot of times, like, especially for service providers, it's like one-to-one, you know? And so it's like, there's not, there's not a ton of wiggle room all the time, but that being said, yes, free content, 1000%, like having resources that are available to people no matter what. And kind of at like, particularly for me, when I work with businesses, like I try to think about, like, the first few things, like, to get up and running, to get, like, those, you know, get to a certain benchmark, to be able to, you know, be at a point where you're really ready to invest in, like, consulting or coaching or whatever. But I want, like, every small business to succeed. So um, trying to make that available. I do a lot of, like, free consultations, workshops, things like that. I do a lot of stuff in trade as well, to be honest, probably more than I should. I shouldn't even really advertise that. (laughs) Um, But
1: yeah,
0: you know, like in, again, it totally depends on the situation, but I'm also really working on new, more accessible kind of like community offerings, courses, um, community, things like that, because yeah, one-on-one is expensive because it's limited, right? Like I only have so many hours in the day as do you. And so to have dedicated time is, is always going to be kind of the most expensive thing that I offer. And even then, you know, talk about pricing another day, but I also feel like this is just such a huge part of like the work that I'm doing with clients is figuring out like ways to make their businesses accessible as well. So like, For, it totally depends on the type of business, the kind of business, but I think that there's a lot of cool and interesting creative solutions. If you're offering like, you know, discounts to certain events or you like do partnerships or there's like a give back program or there's like sponsor, I don't know. There's so many cool ways, or even just thinking about, again, the price points I work with, as we know, a lot of retailers. So like thinking about the price points that you have available and making that, um, just as accessible to the people that you're trying to serve as you can. Um, and really a lot like alignment is important to me there, you know, like if you, I think that, um, I was reading something recently that was like a small business statistic that was like, I can't remember the exact number, so don't quote me, but like 52% of business, small businesses that fail, it's because it's not a market fit. And I'm like, Well, that seems fucking broad as hell. And what are the other 48%? (laughs) But like, it's fascinating to think about that. Like, if you're trying to serve a certain kind of person, like I serve small businesses, I'm never, you can mark my words, I'm never going to have a $25,000 like mastermind. Like, that's just not the person that I'm serving. The businesses that I help do not have 25K in the bank to have like a retreat. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, just I think thinking about that too, just kind of like not necessarily product market fit, but just who you're really looking to serve, why you're looking to serve them, and the forms that that can take. I think that accept- the question of accessibility doesn't have to be limiting, it can actually be somewhere you can get really creative. Obviously, um, Michelle at Holisticism has done a lot of amazing interviews and work about her sliding skill. Um, there's a lot more examples, but. I think that that's, that's kind of how it shows up for me, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah. And also I think accessibility can be, you know, outside of pricing, it can also totally. be to serve people with disabilities too. You yes. Know? Yes. So we're that's so something right. that is often left out of the conversation when we're talking about accessibility, you know, do you have accessible design? Uh, you know, if you do online courses, do you have closed captions is, you know, are the colors that you use, um, good for people with, you know, visible or what's the word vision disability is not visible. Um, You know, for things like that, are you using alt text? Are you filling out the meta descriptions? If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you might not be very tech savvy, but I suggest you look it up. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's another, that's another way to offer some form of accessibility with your work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You're so right. It's a huge point. Um I also think that you can be looking to your vendors and business partners to ensure that your values are aligned. Um research board of directors, their practices, their beliefs where, you know, they're donating their money. This can be really hard and tedious work, but like there's a classic example which is Uline. It's a big like um shipping and supply provider boxes packaging that kind of stuff and in 2018 there was this new york times piece about the founders and how they're major major supporters of conservative right-wing agendas that are like very um discriminatory Mm -hmm. and so yeah and a lot of small like many 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 small businesses use uline for packaging and packing supplies and it's not super easy to find alternatives and i understand being you know you're bogged down you have a lot you have a lot to do, so. But just as we say that consumers vote with our dollars, like businesses do as well. So um, that's just an example. And if any of you are freaking out right now, I will link an article with some alternatives in the show notes in case anyone's like, "Shit, I use Uline," and I'll link that New York Times article too. But it's really interesting um, to think about those kind of things. Same thing, where you're keeping your money, what banks you're using. Um, you know just things like that if you can stay local if you can kind of like build those personal relationships with like your printer your um you know who's like doing the shipping for you all that kind of stuff is really important to make sure you have alignment so that your kind of like sphere of influence if you will is as aligned as possible
1: these show notes are going to be so juicy with all the resources yeah, they are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of excited <laughs> for it <We> <laughs> another thing you can do um is look into profit sharing or bonus structures, community exit strategies. Shout out to Market Basket. We love it. <laughs> What's their tagline? Do they have one? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I was going to say, don't you just love a bargain, but that's the Christmas tree show. <laughs> <laughs> Another new Anyway, industry. anyway, we love Market Basket. They do profit sharing and like Everyone I know worked at Market Basket in high school, and they all have houses now. So <laughs> it's That's really beneficial. Fact. Yeah, it's really beneficial for your employees.
0: Yeah, I mean, I remember a few years ago when they they were protesting because there was like they were trying to oust like the president or the CEO yeah. or something, and people loved him. You know, like mm-hmm. he was so good to the employees, and I'm like, wow. When was the last time you saw? Yeah, you saw a protest to like keep someone in power
1: at an Seriously. organization people so. love the MB around here. Yes. <laughs> oh my god, I miss living Oh wait, I no, this. I know what I was thinking. My love. grandmother called it Demola's because that was the um oh, the old name. That was Well, yeah, that was the family's name that owned it. Oh and my god, yes. Like, I got I got to go down to Demola's.
0: <laughs> oh my god, so <laughs> fucking cute. <laughs> I mean, we used to live in Union Square in Somerville like right next to like two blocks away from that market basket and it was always such a shit show
1: oh my god like, that one is horrible <laughs> well just the amount of it's, it's just the sheer amount of people that go there
0: right right right, right. It, like i love it i actually miss it so much because it's like so cheap but oh my god like the the chaos do not miss <laughs> um Anyways, and lastly, I mean, I think that this is just an interesting question to meditate on as you're setting goals for your business is like, ask yourself what is enough, like set goals based on needs, the aligned growth that you want, like, and I'm not saying that you can't want to be a big company, you absolutely can want that and it can be very aligned for you. But I see a lot of people who are setting goals for their businesses. And they're like, next year, I want to make half a million dollars. And I'm like, okay, what would that? mean for you. Why do you want to do that? Here's what would go into that. You know, like I think that we have this kind of idea that like more money is always good. Um, but I think that it's important to think about like yeah, how you're like, kind of like you were saying at the beginning, like if you have more money and you know you can do good with it and you have a plan to do that, amazing. Like let's get you there. But I think that like accumulation of wealth just because of like some ego trip uh ain't cute let's just leave it at that
1: <laughs> it's the American dream Janine yeah oh God. <laughs> mo money more problems you know what I mean uh, so moving on if you're not a business owner sorry we just spent all the time on that <laughs> but there's plenty of things that you can do in your personal life in your spirituality so um we will we'll talk about that now so in your personal life creating create meaning in your life that has nothing to do with consumption. So just sit with that for a second and just think about what that even means because we are always consuming something. You know, even if it's social media, if it's, um, you know, just reading stuff all the time, podcasts and watching TV, we're always, always consuming. So try to make space for pleasure In a way that has nothing to do with that, you know, like get out and enjoy nature, maybe sit and do some arts and crafts, engage in a ritual, whether that's actually, you know, crafting a spell or just making yourself some tea in the morning, whatever it is, find some time in your day to not consume because we are doing so much consuming throughout the rest of the day. It's exhausting.
0: (laughs) It's exhausting. I'm full. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um. Yeah. And I think that like pairing that with like rest, that's like when you hear the the saying like rest is radical, like that this is why. Resting, allowing your body, your brain, your spirit to renew without needing feeling the need to be productive um, is major. And if it's hard for you
1: to do that, capitalism is why. 100 percent. So we we tend to fear rest in our culture And it's because, you know, we're afraid of getting behind on work. We're afraid of missing out on fun with friends. We're afraid of how it'll be seen by our coworkers because, you know, our society values productivity among all else. So rest, we've said this before. It's one of the most productive things you can do. It helps you feel better. It helps you react to things better, be more attentive, be more present. Also, from a nutrition perspective, it helps you absorb nutrients better too because when you're stressed, that locks up your digestion and you're really not processing things the way that you should be. So mm. you get you get more out of your food <laughs> when you rest as well. Oh my God, I love that. Yeah, yeah, definitely
0: important to see all sides of that argument. <laughs> um, Who doesn't need a nap? <laughs> I mean, I need a nap right now. Uh, I'm a gapper,
1: but i do like to. me go neither to but oh, I, well, I do I like sleep. to just like lay down yeah i like to relax just like yeah rest yeah
0: <laughs> yeah totally um you can also create opportunities to exchange goods services food offerings in your community like outside of the idea of exchanging money so like I think that that can get really fun and really creative, even if it's just like within your group of friends or, you know, if you're getting rid of things and like offering them or doing some kind of trade. Um, I think that that, again, can be really interesting and can create these kind of different bonds to what that
1: means to like exchange. Yeah. I just thought of when you were saying that with friends, I just thought of back in the day, like. Back in college, there was this group, or the, they, they called themselves the Swapaholics. Do you remember Yes, this? I used oh to go God, to yeah. all their events. They used to have these big events where, I don't know, they would, I don't know if people would donate, or I don't know where they got their clothes from, but, you know, they would just put everything in a room, and it was like that mad, da- like the David's Bridal, like mad dash when they open the doors, and like everyone goes crazy and tries to grab everything. <laughs> yeah. But that was always fun to just find something new, and you didn't have to... You know, you don't have to spend money on anything. It's just like, I don't know, thrifting. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean,
0: thrifting, even though obviously there's a money exchange there too, like that's, it's really good for the environment to like buy vintage, to thrift, to like. Yeah.
1: And to swap with your friends. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And there was a lot of this going on in the beginning of the pandemic, you know, thinking about, you know, what your currency is that isn't money. Um, and I know in my neighborhood, there was a spreadsheet going around with what people could offer outside of finances. So it was basically just like a spreadsheet of skills that people had to offer. So cooking, baking, sewing, some people even offered therapy, which, you know, I should have taken up back then. Um, but I thought that was such a, such an awesome way for people to help each other out without needing to spend anything. And then there's also the buy nothing groups that are in pretty much I don't know at least every neighborhood in Boston but um I'm, i it's national but there's those buy nothing groups where you just basically you post something that you're either looking for or that you you want to get rid of and rather than just throwing it in the trash there's always someone that is willing to take whatever you're trying to get rid of so yeah. that's another that's another way to swap things or to um, purge (laughs) or to just get things for free like my my headphones are dying like the wires are coming apart and I posted the other day on my buy nothing group looking for some and someone was like I have some for you and I didn't have to spend any money it was great (laughs) oh my god that's amazing yeah and there's
0: like you know I think through the pandemic there were community fridges popping up all over and like again yeah there is now yeah there's some there's obviously some exchange there because it's more like a donation system. And like people, you know, I saw a couple of posts like, does anyone have the means to be able to donate kind of the electricity to like keep a refrigerator running? Mm-hmm. But I think that you're if you're in a position to do that, those kind of things are really creative ways to serve your community. Even we've talked about before how you have like a million of those like little free libraries. In yeah, your I love area, that. <laughs> And another big one. If you can, again, if you have means contributing to mutual aid funds, bail funds, if you can, you can go back to episode zero for a list of resources on those things. Um, But, again, those are more community-based places to put your money rather than, like, sending to, like, some huge nonprofit. They go directly to people who need them, need them, cash.
1: Yeah, and building off of that, activism, is another great anti-capitalist practice. So by fighting for more just, equal and fair systems for not just you and your family, but for the greater good, that's what that's what we want to do. So not everyone is an activist, you know meaning you're not not everyone is really getting out there on the ground and protesting and marching. that's not for everyone and that is totally okay. But there are other ways that you can support the causes that you care about through donations, volunteering, spreading the word in your network, voting, voting with your dollar. So choosing, you know, who you want to support with your money and also uplifting the activists who are out there on the ground doing the damn thing. So important.
0: I mean, I think speaking of voting with your dollar, like supporting small businesses as much as you can, if it's in within your budget, especially as the holidays are coming up is huge. This is more important now than ever. Um, In September, it was reported that 60% of the closures due to COVID-19 were going to become permanent. So that's, you know, just think about that. In a lot of states where like businesses have been closed, a significant number of businesses have been closed for a long time. So many of them will stay shuttered and small businesses aren't just like nice to have. Like, I mean, energetically, emotionally, like it's really nice to have like an, an of really adorable like downtown where like the people who work there know you and they can tell you the story of the makers and all those things. We love that. Like that is a huge piece of why we love small businesses, but also they have a significant impact on your community and they keep your money local. So for every dollar that you spend at a small business, 67 of 67 cents out of those 100 cents of the dollar stay in your community. So through vendor relationships, through jobs, through wages, through employee benefits, and that has a real impact on our local economy, um, and can be put to services that like affect people locally, you know? And so I think that there's a lot to say about convenience, you know, like we've kind of moved into this like convenience economy. Um, but if you have the means financially um, to be able to kind of like go out of your way to support a local bookstore instead of ordering a book on Amazon, um, it makes a huge difference. Like it feels like a small action. And yes, maybe it can be like slightly annoying because you have to like actually get in your car or whatever, maybe you pay a little bit more. Um, But again, if you have that privilege, it's a really powerful way to use it.
1: Yeah and they appreciate it so much more. Like Jeff yes. Bezos isn't going to send you a thank you card. <laughs> he doesn't give a fuck. No he is not. <laughs> uh, but that's that's a good point that you make that you know small businesses aren't just cute to have. Right. You know, <laughs> and they are cute. Like trust yeah. like yeah, I they love, are cute. we love a cute business, but like <laughs> but they are like really... the lifeblood of the local
0: economy. Exactly. And like they add to your property value. You know, like if you live in a town that has like a bustling main street and like locally owned restaurants and like that are supporting farmers in your community and vendor like small makers, your property value goes up. Your schools get better. Your infrastructure like it has a huge impact. It's not just like you have a cute main street. You live in yeah. Stars Hollow. Good for you. Love that. <laughs> Again, love it, but it has a bigger, it's more than just your feelings.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that's what well, also, I mean, we obviously want to support as much as we can the businesses in our local area, but there are other small businesses that we want to support as well. And for that, especially if you don't have much that's local. Um, forage and sustain is a really good follow on Instagram for Mm -hmm. learning about ethical and conscious brands. And she actually just posted a sustainable gift guide too, which is important. If, um, if you want to check that out, we'll put that in the show notes. Um, but I, I want to say that I know caring about this stuff can often feel like it's being a little precious or pretentious. I mean, as, Janine just explained, it's 100% not. But I also wanted to share something that I was reading just before we started recording. And it was about the craft chocolate industry. And it speaks to the overall theme of what we're talking about here. So it is by Alicia Kennedy. And so she says not only was chocolate my first love it was also my introduction to how the global food system works cheap or slave labor industrial production that foregrounds quantity over quality and an artificially low cost that allows consumers to believe that a product isn't special or worthwhile leading as well to the cultural political and socioeconomic understanding of growing nations as either special as neither special nor worthwhile by association. It's all by capitalist design. And it's also by capitalist design that by caring about ecological health, proper pay for farmers and flavor quality that I become a snob. So, like I said, this speaks to the idea that exploited labor and low costs are just so normalized that true, sustainable, ethical work by conscious brands, like the ones, like I just mentioned that Forage and Sustain is trying to help promote, you know, these kinds of brands, it's seen as unworthy because we are by design separated from the people and the processes and the craft that goes into creating a product.
0: Yes, absolutely. I th- And like you said, it's in- entirely by design.
1: Yeah. And I understand like all of this said, I understand if you're sitting there like, well, I don't have the budget for this. <laughs> and, or maybe you don't have the budget or a disability means you need to rely on services from Amazon and from other companies that provide the services you need. If that's the case, do not feel bad. Remember what we said earlier, you are a victim of capitalism. But if you do have the capacity to choose brands, at least if you are shopping on Amazon and you are you have the ability to you know shop around a little bit, there is the Better World Shopping Guide. That's a comprehensive resource of companies and corporations that you typically find on the shelves, and they rate them from, or they give them grades from A to F on whether they actually walk the walk when it comes to environmental sustainability, human rights, community involvement, animal protection, social justice. So again, if, there, if you have to buy from these places, totally fine. Don't feel guilty. But if you also have the ability to, you know, make a, a more sustainable choice, there are some ref- resources out there for you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think on that note, too, like, if there's still ways even in the consumption of the products that you are buying, you know, like, taking care of not just like the way we treat our clothing as like not disposable, you know, like if you right. have to order something and you're ordering it through Amazon, like that's totally fine. There's still a million things you can do on the back end to make sure that you're like caring for it, using it as long as you can, disposing of it properly when it's time comes, like all those kind of things really do um, buoy the same same ideas that we're talking about.
1: Yeah. That's a good point. Like same thing with plastic, you know, people talk about plastic straws and plastic bags and it's like, well, I mean, I don't, I rarely, I never buy straws. That's for, that's for sure. But like, you know, if I do have a plastic straw, like I, I have one that I've been using for my smoothies for like years. I wash it out. Yeah. (laughs) Same thing with plastic bags. That's something I learned from my mom and my grandmother. You wash out your plastic bags. (laughs) But yeah, there's, there's ways like If you buy them, there are ways that you can keep them around and not have it end up in landfills or, you know, have it be a more sustainable thing in your home. Right. Exactly. Like mending your clothes, things like that. Yeah. Do you know how
0: to sew a button? Like that's honestly an important skill, you know, because if you have a (laughs) coat and you're like, oh, a button fell off. So I have to get a new one. Like you don't. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Go on YouTube. We have, we have access to
1: so many how-to videos. Oh my God. I (laughs) learn everything from YouTube and TikTok. (laughs)
0: literally (laughs) my formal education
1: yeah (laughs) and
0: then lastly we do of course want to touch on spiritual practice so first things first spiritual practice requires no money crystals journals meditation pillows tinctures all that stuff so fun again love it but Anytime you notice yourself pressing up against the belief that you need to buy something in order to connect spiritually, question that shit. Yes. Like, oh, I can't do a ritual this, you know, this full moon because I don't have the exact crystal that this spell calls for. Or, oh, I wish I thought ahead. I, like, don't have, you know, I don't have a pillow that works. Like, come on we can we're smarter than that so just notice notice you're noticing um and it's important in that same moment to like kind of ask yourself who is profiting off of this belief that i need to buy something in order to develop my spirituality um sure There, like I've just mentioned, there could be recommendations for certain rituals. Like we talk about candle magic a lot, making altars, things like that. But at the very basis of all of this, all you really need is your own energy. That is the key to any ritual, any belief. Um, And it really has to have your own energy behind it for it to work or to be put into motion. And that's really it. You know, there's a lot of ways to get creative, and we certainly love that. But if you're someone who's like, Oh, I've been waiting to do that because I need to like save money to, I really want to buy a tarot deck. And until I start reading tarot, I can't, you know, be meditating or can't be on this journey. Like I would humbly request (laughs) that you, yeah, just start working with your breath, your own energy, spaciousness, like sit on the floor and meditate.
1: Yeah. You are the only tool you need.
0: Yes. There we go. That's a nice, succinct, beautiful way of saying it, Kristen.
1: (laughs) Well, there's a lot of money to be made in spirituality. So it's, you know, it used to be written off as this woo-woo thing until they realized what an opportunity there was to exploit. So sure. Venture capital spirituality is out there. It's all those astrology apps that are almost always backed by VCs. And every astrologer, I don't know about you, but every astrologer I know hates the ones like CoStar and Sanctuary, Um, they're fun for memes and they're fun. They're like, they make a lot of shareable content on Instagram and I don't know, it could just be, it's fun, (laughs) but it also kind of dumbs it down a little bit. And I'm all for making all of this stuff more accessible, but at the same time, just know that it can't replace the work of a real live human being who does this stuff for a living. Mm, Definitely agree. And we would be remiss not to bring up Sephora's witch kit saga. Remember that? Oh, my God. <laughs> what year was that? I I feel like it was only last year.
0: <laughs> right? I know. Like, maybe 2018, but still. It was pretty uh-huh. recent.
1: Yeah. So if you don't know, Sephora announced a collaboration with the company Pinrose for what they called a starter witch kit that had fragrances, a tarot deck, a piece of rose quartz, and a bundle of white sage, all for $42. And again, we don't want to gatekeep anything related to witchcraft or spirituality. If people wanted to buy that, that's fine. Um, But just the sale of it, you know, this was not 1000% not well received. (laughs) One for capitalizing on a trend that is not really a trend and two, the inclusion of white sage, which is super problematic for a variety of reasons. The trendiness that led to this whole saga has also led to the overharvesting of white sage, which makes it less accessible to the communities who use it in their spiritual practice. So that would be indigenous people who use it for their sacred ceremonies and they've asked non-natives to stop selling sage and smudge kits. They've also been banned from practicing their own religion in some, in some cases. So you might see how it's an issue when white and other non-native people take something so easily for themselves that others had to fight so hard for, you know, without giving a thought to its weight or history. So we'll put a link in the show notes to some alternatives to sage. So it's used for cleansing. But just quickly, you can use other herbs like rosemary, mugwort. You can use flowers. You can look into your own lineage to see what was used and use that. You can also cleanse with sound like bells or your own hands. Remember, all you need is you. Your, your hands are free. So just an option.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I think on that same note, if you're going to use crystals in your practice, buying from sustainable sources, um, there are a ton of sellers on like etsy but you have to dig a little bit deeper to figure out what their ethics are um but you can always send them messages too so we love the village silversmith it's a local company with locations in salem portsmouth um but they sell on etsy and they're um AGTA certified so that's the American Gem Trade Association Uh, and they support ethical sourcing and that's something to just like really look into when you're shopping again like anything else like I think we forget on that same idea of like the we're separated from the process like crystals literally come from the earth like they have to be mined they have there's like they're a limited resource so even like when we consider like how many we need to buy you know or like How they're how they got to the store that we're buying them at is really, really important. And those kind of questions can be not only important for you to find out in your own consumption, but can also tell business owners and, um, you know, shop owners and things like that, that their audience cares and provide more of that information or maybe inspires them to change their behavior. Um, Yeah. And if you
1: if you reach out to them and they don't have an answer for you, find somewhere else. because. Yeah. It's, it's unlikely that they have ethical sourcing. Correct. Yeah. So long story short, (laughs) an hour and a half later, I don't know how long we've been recording, but if you're going to use tools for your spiritual practice, the best way is to get them from small businesses. If you can and cleanse the fuck out of everything else. The last thing we want is capitalist energy in our spiritual practice. Bye. Bye.
0: Bye. Bye. Get out of here. See you. Yes, agreed. Yeah. Like, (laughs) cue JoJo, get out. (laughs) Hopefully this inspired some ideas or, like, you know, gave people some inspiration to start incorporating or thinking about things in a different way. Um, Like we said, this is, like, truly just scratching the surface in terms of, like, the problems with capitalism, the practices that you can – you know, start to utilize in your own life and the kind of things you can start fighting for and noticing in, you know, our government, local and national, that you can be kind of questioning. And that's the episode. I hope you enjoyed this scratching the surface of what it can look like to live anti-capitalist values in your business, in your personal life, and even in spirituality. Um, I am so interested to hear your feedback. If you have any thoughts, questions, um, please DM me on Instagram at feelgoodretail. And if you enjoyed today's episode or any of our other episodes of retail for the rest of us, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review on iTunes. I know you hear this on every single podcast you listen to, but it really does help podcasters, um, find new aligned audiences. And I would love to have more indie retailers, in our group here we love it love to see it so that's it for me i hope everyone has a wonderful abundant semi-chill maybe you enjoy a nice cocktail memorial day weekend Um, and we will be back for the month of email june next week i'll see you then and until that point cheers to feeling good